Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening, where we will continue our reflections into Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, what, uh, verses 14 to 16. Uh, In fact, I think I will get through, hopefully, verse 21 today, which means, my friends, all we will have left is chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians on our series of reflections on 1 and 2 Corinthians. So that means that we need new subject matter. And as we have touched upon so many different things over the course of just not the past five, six months, but really the past 10 years, I want to continue to hear from you on what you want me to talk about. I will continue to set Thursday aside to continue to respond to your questions. Again, Special Topic Thursday is all about responding to your questions, an evening that is tailored to your questions. We will continue to do that, but I do need to hear from you. I mean, I certainly have my subject matter that I want to talk about, but I want to make sure that I'm answering your questions um, and or your requests. And if there is a particular book that is burning on your heart that you want me to talk about, then I will do that. Or if there is a larger topic that you want me to talk about, I will do that. Be mindful of what I have already talked about. Not only the many topics we have touched upon as it relates to Special Topic Thursday, but the much broader topics of apologetics, theology of the body, the great Christian thinkers in church history, We have hit all of those topics extensively, and from time to time, I will go back to some of those topics as you ask me questions, but here what I'm looking for, my friends, is maybe a book, and it just doesn't have to be a book from the New Testament. Maybe you want me to go through a book in the Old Testament. I would love to go through a book in the Old Testament, and point of fact, I have been thinking about that already, and... If I don't get a consensus from you, I just may decide on a book from the Old Testament and hit that. So anyhow, I want to hear from you, just not your questions, but also your thoughts and and your comments about some subject matter that you would like me to talk about. So all very important. Now, that being said, I have heard from you as it relates to a very specific question, and this wasn't necessarily a question I thought would be set aside for a whole evening, but a question to respond to nonetheless, and that is, what does St. John intend to mean when he says, in the Spirit? <laughs> what does St. John intend to mean when he says, in the Spirit? I-, I think that's a great question. I want to respond to that question on two levels. First of all, just a quick teaching on what the Holy Spirit is, or rather, who the Holy Spirit is, right? The Holy Spirit is the love shared between the Father and the Son. You have heard me define the Trinity as love given, love received, and love shared. And the love shared, of course, is the fellowship between the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, the love shared between the Father and the Son. So when St. John is in the Spirit, what he intends to mean is that he is literally in the love shared between the Father and the Son. Now, 
What does that mean in the context of the book of Revelation? Certainly I've talked about this when we went through the book of Revelation, but we need to rehash some of that because of its application today. St. John was not in the world, but in the Spirit. St. John was not tied to secular thinking, but spiritual thinking. He was literally caught up in the Spirit, and as he was caught up in the Spirit, he was caught up in the things of God. So while living in the world, he was able to literally see the things of God. He had this extraordinary vision, so he was caught up in this mystical state. While living in the ordinary life, he had an extraordinary encounter in the Holy Spirit with Jesus Christ, right? He had this extraordinary, supernatural encounter with God from which he was given access to the things of God, which of course is what we have in the book of Revelation, a very specific revelation that can only come when we don't belong to the world, but rather belong to God. Now, you did hear me speak to this ecstatic union that St. Paul experienced at the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Certainly, this also applies to St. John, right? He was in this ecstatic, mystical state, right? He was having a supernatural encounter with God. So, in the Spirit, my friends, means, yes, first and foremost, in the love shared between the Father and the Son, And once we are in that love, once we are in that mystical union, right, the love shared between the Father and the Son, we are given access, access to the things of God. So St. John was not of the world, but of God, in God. And once in God, he was given a vision. And my dear friends, when we are not of the world, but in God, Jesus too will give us a vision right? A vision. What is that great beatitude? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Certainly part of the response to the question of what does it mean when John is in the Spirit is this beatitude, because remember the Greek therefore purity is kathados, which means single-hearted or single-minded. The Greek there literally translates as without mixture. So the idea there is that By being in God, you're not pulled away by all of these worldly, secular side glances because you are single-minded, you are single-hearted. Now, if you are a faithful listener, you know that this specific topic, specifically, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God, has been so important to me. And it is because ultimately, in the end, is it not about the vision of God? Is not our life about seeing all things in the light of God? So being caught up in the Spirit is a very important reality and certainly an important question to reflect with, and so hopefully there I gave you some uh, food for thought. All right, that being said, let us go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I will go ahead and read verses 14 to 18 for starters. Now I am ready to come to you this third time, and I will not be a burden, for I want not what is yours but you. Children ought not to save for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be utterly spent for your sakes. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granted that I myself did not burden you, yet I was crafty and got the better of you by deceit. 
Did I take advantage of you through any of those I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brothers with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit and in the same steps? I love that. <laughs> I will most gladly spend and be utterly spent for your sakes. One of my favorite lines there, actually, in Second Corinthians. Anyhow, what could we say here to these series of verses. Well, it's interesting what he does in verse 14, is it not? Paul refuses to enter into this kind of, oh, what we can call a patron-client relationship that would ultimately compromise his freedom to challenge his benefactors. He is not the community's client. He is what, my friends? What did he already talk about? He is their spiritual father who regards them as his what but beloved children. He has talked about this on numerous occasions. If you were to go back into 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 to 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 13, we talked about it then, even uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, he has placed an emphasis on his spiritual fa fatherhood all throughout his first and second epistles. Now, what I find so striking is that as their father in faith, he is interested in their spiritual well-being, not in their possessions or money. This is what he means when he tells them, I want not what is yours, but you. I don't want what you possess, per se, as much as <laughs> you, right? Do we not have a lesson to be learned here, my friends? We so often have that tendency to replace person with thing. What did St. John Paul II once say? People were born to be loved and things use. And what do we do? We love things and use people. That has always been one of my favorite quotes from St. John Paul II. And certainly what we have here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 is a beautiful uh, distillation of that quote from St. John Paul II. I want not what is yours, but you. You see, he's saying, I don't use people. I'm all about my spiritual fatherhood. And maybe we could say, and, and Father Stegman, the Jesuit, makes the note that we've been drawing from, <laughs> we could also see this as a jab at the super apostles, whom he has implicitly accused of not having the Corinthians' best interest and you see, my friends, we can feel this way. If maybe we are someone who has money and people are constantly asking us for money and they never really ask us how we are doing or how's work going or how's your family doing, but just how much money can you give me? Can you give me money? That person can begin to feel, well, simply used. And, and St. Paul avoids this. He avoids this sense of utilitarianism. And by doing so, it frees him to be able to minister to all people, especially those people who might be his benefactors. I think for all of those who are doing the work of God, have to be present to this. huh? Clearly, God is doing great things through apostolates, through ministries that are financed by people's generosity. But we have to be careful that we aren't losing something in all of this. That in the end, 
maybe our benefactors also need to be challenged. And they're not being challenged because in their mind's eye, well, they're giving you money and in the end, they won't be open to the challenge. I think this is partly what's going on here and something we need to be present to, especially if we are in uh, ministry, okay? Now, what's interesting here is that Paul goes on to explain that the role of parents is to save up for their children, not vice versa. Uh, The Greek verb for save, or lay up, if you will, in the Greek is thesorizo, thesorizo. In this context, in this context, my friends, it means setting aside an inheritance for one's heirs. I think that's interesting. But the treasure that Paul spoke to as spiritual father, the treasure that is the gospel, back in chapter 4, verse 7, is thesauros. thesauros. So here we are made to kind of juxtapose or compare and contrast what's going on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, and 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. In one place, he talks about treasure, having a more literal context of how we might think about it today. But he wants us to see that in contrast to what he was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, where the treasure was the gospel. So once again, he intimates that he has a special role as their father in faith, one that is bound up to the treasure that is the gospel. That if you are an apostle or if you are a disciple of Christ, you need to be concerned for the treasure that is the gospel. That's your inheritance. You see, my friends, in baptism, we have been given a first installment, a kind of down payment, if you will. And we have to make sure that we are drawing from this inheritance. Because by drawing from this inheritance, will the treasure actually begin to expand? Another paradox of our faith, right? You draw from the treasure, and when you pull out from the treasure, you actually are gaining, right? Interest is accruing, if you will. So another point that St. Paul would have us see, and do know that St. Paul is very intentional about the language he is using. He wants us to look at what he has already talked about in the context of what he is now talking about, so that we might have a new insight to gain. And of course, in this case, what he means by using the word uh, treasure. What else here? Well, now Paul is mainly concerned to nurture their spiritual well-being, is evident in verse 15. Uh, I will most gladly spend and be utterly spent for your sakes, literally for your souls, for your souls. What's the Greek word for soul here but psyche? Psyche. Yeah, (laughs) psyche, my friends. Psyche, or psychosis, literally translates as soul. What does that mean? (laughs) Psychology is the study of the mind, yes, but what is the mind? But the study of the soul. How about that? That psychology is the study of the soul. I mean, how many psychology programs are out there in the academic setting that are actually talking about the study of the soul? The mind is a faculty of the soul. What are the faculties of the soul? The faculties of the soul are the mind, the heart, and memory, and the imagination. These towering faculties of the soul. The mind is a faculty of the soul, my friends. 
This is why psychology was one of the first disciplines, the first annex disciplines, if you will, of the initial degrees that came from those first universities. What did you have? You had philosophy, uh, theology, medicine, law, rhetoric, and you had psychology, the study of the mind, the study of the brain. Now, what's important for you and I to understand is that it was initially (laughs) never studied autonomous from the heart and from the human person and from the will. No, it was always studied in light of the heart, in light of the will, in light of who we are as human beings, human persons. How many psychology degrees today actually deal with that degree within the larger context of the unity of body and soul? Very few. In point of fact, I think Satan has parodied this. He has hijacked this from its initial context, from its original meaning, from its actual meaning. And I think if we are going to rediscover what it means to be Christian in our academic settings, it's going to start at least in part with a rediscovery of what good psychology is all about. You've heard me say before that psychology in itself is very, very important, a principal subject among the social sciences for sure. In point of fact, all social sciences are hinged to psychology. But, (laughs) but as those social scientists are hinged to psychology, should not then psychology be the bridge to better understand the spiritual sciences, right? So often today, we want to solve all of our psychological problems by taking a pill, right? This medication, that medication. Once we understand that psychology also deals with the soul, then you enter into a whole new question. We just don't need a psychologist. Psychologists are good, right? And sometimes, yes, of course, medication helps. I'm not saying it doesn't. It does. But that's never going to solve the whole problem. Why? Because psychology is a faculty of the soul. We just don't need a good psychologist. We also need a good spiritual director. We need a good spiritual counselor. I know I'm getting excited about this because, quite honestly, this is very close to my heart as I see so many people putting such an overemphasis on psychology. And I'm not de-emphasizing psychology. No, I'm just trying to put it in its proper place. And I want you to understand that there is a history here. I mean, listen to what St. Paul just said. Listen to this. I will most gladly spend and be utterly spent for your souls, for your psyches, for your psychology. I will most gladly spend and be utterly spent for your psychology, for your psychological well-being. That's what that verse means. But psychological well-being also means for your souls. Man, we need to reorient this. I tell you what, widely, widely important. There's such a huge gap, which is really a chasm between the social sciences and the spiritual sciences today. We need to bring these sciences together and rediscover what we are dealing with here as it relates to how we are created in the image and likeness of God. Okay? Okay, if you have any questions, comments, and observations about what, I'm just ta- what I just talked about, please do not hesitate to send me an email. I would gladly, gladly engage with you on this topic. And understand, 
I am not one who has this all figured out. I myself am, am still learning. But by the grace of God, I try to learn with principles, those principles that are established in Revelation itself, right? I don't offer you just what I think. No, but what I've studied, what I've come to understand by studying what has been revealed, right? Just not in the natural world, but also in sacred scripture, that which can be reasoned as truth, okay? All right, so Paul willingly expends himself on behalf of those to whom he ministers to. Now, he also suggests by his use of the passive, be utterly spent, that he has entrusted himself into God's hands to carry out God's will. Indeed, he is, as he said in the opening verse of this second epistle, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This isn't by his doing. He was called out for God's purpose. And my dear friends, I dare say, on some level, we all have been called out for God's purpose. Have we not? If I were in front of a large group, <laughs> I would say, amen? Amen. Okay. So after conveying his self-giving love to the Corinthians, Paul poignantly asks a very important question. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? So it seems the more he loves them, as for example, by refusing to burden them, the less he is loved in return. But notice that by employing a rhetorical question, he deftly leaves the door open for the community to reciprocate this love. You know, this question is at the heart, I think, of a deeper spiritual life. He gets something here that I don't think a lot of Christians get today. The more he loves, the more he gives, the more people turn away. There's something going on here. Certainly when we are a good and faithful apostle and disciple of Jesus Christ, we will bring people to Jesus Christ by the grace of God. But what we have to be present to is that deeper truth that comes to us when we conform ourselves to the cross of Jesus Christ. What am I talking about? Well, what does Jesus teach us about forgiveness when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? Think about this. He is saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The very person that he said, here, take this, you will become the best version of who you are called to be. If you take this, if you receive this, that person is now rejecting him. Have you ever been rejected by someone who you poured yourself out to in some capacity or some manner? Welcome to the cross of Jesus Christ. And certainly, St. Paul is one who poured himself out for his brothers and sisters in Christ and to the very person and people that he was pouring himself out to are now rejecting him, at least some. And yet, like Jesus, he still leaves the door open. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't say, well, because you did this to me, I'm now going to do this to you. Some of us may feel like, yeah, that's my God. That institutional authoritarian, that punitive policeman said, you didn't do what I wanted you to do, so now I'm going to punish you. Don't we have something to do with why things are going wrong? Don't we make poor decisions? Don't we fail to lean into God's deeper wisdom? 
Are we not imprudent? On the flip side, something else we have to understand is, brothers and sisters, bad things happen to good people. But what is our disposition? Do we have the right to get angry at God if we are not doing everything in our power to be right with God? If you are doing something against a close friend of yours and you constantly ignore your friend, your friend continues to reach out to you and you constantly ignore your friend. When something goes wrong, are you going to now blame that friend if that friend had nothing to do with it? Is this what we do with God? Be right with God. And understand something else. What does Scripture say? Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, is training for just not reproof, but righteousness and holiness. The more we study Scripture, the more we understand the ways of God. And the more we understand the ways of God, the more we're going to come to understand why certain things happen. Study Job. Study Jonah. Study St. Paul. What have we come to appreciate that St. Paul was a man who had every right to blame God. But did he? No, because he was a man who understood. He was a man of great faith. So my message to you this evening is pray for an increase of faith. Let me say that again. Pray humbly before God for an increase in faith. And remember that if you have strong words for God, what does the Word of God tell us about that? You'll be accountable for that. You will be accountable for that. So let not your tongue be a fire of disunity, but one of unity. Mindful that the deeper you go in sacred scripture and and the deposit of faith and the revelation of God, the more you will come to understand that this is more about how you handle yourself in each situation. Do you let all of these trials and circumstances in your everyday life define you? Or do you define them as opportunities? Are challenges there to persecute us and overwhelm us and overrun us to the point of frustration and and anger and resentment and and hate? Or, Or rooted in a very real relationship with Jesus Christ, do we invoke the presence of God? Lord God, Lord Jesus Christ, help me in this very specific situation because I don't understand. But you will give me the understanding I need because you are all understanding. And in the light of that invocation, might the challenge, might the thing that is in your path be an opportunity for growth. One that doesn't leave you pointing the finger at God pointing the finger up there, you punitive policeman, you institutional authoritarian, you who likes to see me suffer. No, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. We need to get over ourselves and remember that the God of history has taught us one thing, that in the end, every other thing is dependent upon the one thing that is God himself. Amen. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth 
Heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.